1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
0: Thanks for listening. You're joining us at Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Dr. Allie Brown. Good morning. Hey, Dr. Owens. Today's topic is... um, Cardiovascular disease, heart disease, stroke, hypertension, all of those things. Um, and I guess we can throw in some peripheral, peripheral vascular disease, too. Um, so lots of different things that we can talk about. And we are joined by one of our favorite guests. We're not even supposed to have favorites, and we do. Um, <laughs> one of our favorite guests, Dr. Myrna, I have to say this, Alexander Nickens. She's, in hy- she's a hyphenated. So I I said this morning, I said this morning, (laughs) Alexander, but Dr. Myrna Alexander Nickens, who is an associate professor. Hopefully, drumroll, soon to be professor at um, of internal medicine and the division of cardiology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And um, for those of you who are regular listeners and supporters of this show, you have heard her before. You know how wonderful she is and what a great fund of knowledge. It's always a fun Nothing time. <laughs> it's always a fun time when we get together. You know, she's also a little shy, but she's got a mean backhand. If you can get her on that tennis court, she's she will she will eat you alive. She seems really, really sweet. Uh-huh. <laughs> the tennis players are laughing right she's, now. She's <laughs> she's really, really sweet, but she will eat your lunch on the court. So again yeah, right. so glad to have you back again, um, Myrna and to talk about this is really a hot topic i mean uh there's been a lot of attention that's been turned to cardiovascular disease and prevention and some of the recommendations that are out there it seems like every few years there's some new thing right um that we are investigating or um trying or people are getting exposed to or you might hear being promoted to try to help um promote cardiovascular health Um, I think at one we've talked we've looked at what antioxidants that people have talked about in the past whether it's vitamin C and vitamin E and other supplements there was at one time I think folic acid was being touted as being a very important um, possible uh, opportunity to help give us some cardiovascular protective effects I guess the things that but we always forget about the basic things that you know, are the easy things, the non-pharmaceutical things and the behavioral things that really help contribute to uh, overall cardiovascular health. Those haven't changed people. Right. They might and not that's be the, the b- good
2: news. Yeah, We actually are in control of a lot of this <laughs> stuff.
0: Those things haven't changed people. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But first, just kind of say hi to everybody. Those, look, introduced to some and re. Uh, acquaint for others, Dr. Myrna Good alexander Good
3: morning, Nichols. Good morning, Dr. Brown and Dr. Orns. It's always nice to come here. Uh, I feel like this is a platform for us to share what we learn every day and what we encourage our patients to do every day. Uh, even though this is um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we want to give a little shout-out to those ladies that have breast cancer, um, but cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death. Uh, in women and men, uh, we are always moving the Department of Cardiology, our uh, associations, the American Heart Association, the um, uh, also the ACC. We're always doing a lot of research about what we should be doing and what is uh, good for the public and I share with you all this morning that we have some new preventive guidelines um, so we and our public is also n- knowledgeable about what the risk factors are but we'll just go over those anyway if they have forgotten Absolutely. because as I talked to some of my patients one of my patients told me yesterday or uh, day before yesterday that her hobby was what eating not a good hobby right
2: it's eating lettuce? Depends on what, I was
3: just going <laughs> to say, it depends on what you're eating, I guess. no. Her, so, you know, if we look around, a lot of Mississippian hobbies are, if we think about it, hey, can you go out to dinner? Hey, can you go out to lunch? Um, do we ever say, hey, can we come play tennis? Can we come and go walk? Um, so one of the things that um, we focus on um, when we look at prevention is make sure that we are looking at changing our lifestyle or continuing a good lifestyle so if you're a teenager and you're in your 18 18 now don't stop exercising because you used to play football and basketball you need to continue so we're talking about continuing exercise Um, some of the uh, uh, other problems that we have is hypertension Uh, we see hypertension in younger ages these days and hypertension di- uh, definition has changed.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty new too. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. relatively
3: new, about within a year or so. Yeah, a couple yeah. of years now. Um, but now we start treating. Well, we always talk to them about risk factors and why you have hypertension. Uh, early on. So the first thing, if you develop hypertension and your blood pressure is over 130 over 80, you're considered hypertensive.
0: Hey, guys, that old, the old number for normal used to be 120 over 80. 80 used to be a safe zone. And now it's 80 not. is not
3: safe. You get right. a label at 80. 80 gets you the label. Right, so wow. that means you got you don't have to take medicines the first thing, but you need to prove that you are doing something to lower it.
2: Well, that makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense that there's a step before. Oh, well, now we have to put you on medication. Right, right. I think that everyone wants to swallow the magic pill, but really, you don't have to even get into that mess if you alter your your diet and your exercise regimen. Yeah, and anything. I you
0: know I think about patients who I'll say, oh, we need to start this, and they're like. Ugh. I don't really like taking medicines. Well, this is great because if you don't really like taking medicines, there actually is an opportunity for you not to have to. Um, If your diet and exercise regimen can be modified such to get your numbers into Target. So, you know, for those of you who are not really big on medicines or not very gung ho on that. Um, there is still some options. These behavioral modifications are really kind of where the money is for you, because that would be the thing that would keep you from doing what you don't want to do. I want to give the number out really quickly because our phone lines are open. Um, and again, this is a really broad topic. We got a really bright guest and she is ready and able to take any of your questions related to cardiovascular disease. Um, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one or you can drop us an email to women at org. Well, we talk about these numbers,
2: and something I really want you to address is okay. what if you don't even know your numbers, right? In order to know where you're at with your numbers, you have to actually get a checkup and know what your numbers are, right? Right. So blood pressure, cholesterol, your blood sugar, what, are the, what should people be out there be doing just to be more
3: aware of their health? Okay, so at the adults considered 18 and above uh, should get a... a, a a physical at 18, but should have gotten them with your pediatrician. Um, We're seeing the pediatricians are seeing more hypertension now. So like I said earlier, blood pressure 130 over 80 is considered hypertensive. That needs to be not just one number. You need to make sure you have at least three readings uh, at separate times for a blood pressure of that uh, magnitude. Now, um, so say, for instance, you started exercising and your blood pressure is better. You still need to follow that. It's not that it's going to be um, normal for the rest of your, your life. So with age, there tends to be an increase in the de- in the development of hypertension. So if we look at all 80 year olds, about 80 percent of them have hypertension. So um, it doesn't mean that you have to have it. But um, in our society, a lot of them develop it,
0: especially women. That's a it's a big deal for yeah. women once they get look, once you go through the change of life. Then that it, beca- it the prevalence on. of hypertension. That was one of the things since I study hypertension in a different group, I studied in young reproductive age women. Um, that was one of the things that I found most interesting is that, you know, that's a, po- a patient population that I don't usually interact with. But how significant that number, like the the slope of the curve goes up pretty significantly once women go through the change of life and enter into that postmenopausal period from 50 on up, the rates of hypertension increase so dramatically. And that
2: might also be a time when women don't see the physician as frequently and they might think, oh, I I never had high blood pressure, so I'm never going to. What you're saying is... Yeah, That's they not need, the
3: case. right. They need to get checked. Uh, so there's a lot of places that you can go. You can go to the local um, um, pharmacy and get your blood pressure checked. So what's You're, up with those automatic cuffs? Are, are they really? Are they reliable? Yeah. What do you say? I think they are. They give you an estimate. Now, certainly, if the you go to a place and it hasn't been checked in a while, um, hasn't been calibrated in a while, then your blood pressure readings may be um, off but now if you walk to the blood per- walk to get your blood pressure checked it's going to be different than when you sit there for 5 minutes so you got to be be aware of that. It's not that it's something wrong with the machine. It's that your blood pressure has settled down and your and your blood pressure is better. Then, so that's hypertension. Then we need to know what your blood sugar is. Anything a fasting blood sugar of over one twenty six is considered. So that's considered. your
0: blood sugar when you wake up first thing in the morning, haven't had any food, nothing to eat or drink right? That's your right. fasting blood right. sugar.
3: Or when you haven't eaten for eight hours, we count that as a fasting blood sugar. Right, And I know you guys are pretty aggressive about treating the, hyper- the diabetes when they're pregnant.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we probably tend to be a lot more aggressive. I think when we look at people who have a diagnosis of hypertension and the people who have a diagnosis of diabetes, you know, the hypertensive folks don't say, wow, you guys are really nuts about this hypertension in pregnancy. But the diabetics, they say, oh, my gosh, you guys want my numbers to be way lower than anybody else. They get excited. They walk in, my blood sugar is 200. And we're like, uh-uh, that's not going to work. And they're right. like, but, but my endocrinologist said that that was great. And I said, it is. But when you got a baby in your belly, that that whole thing changes. And so we are very aggressive with diabetic control in pregnancy, much more so than
3: we are when people are not pregnant. Absolutely. Right. So there's such a thing as the borderline diabetic, and, and I think sometimes uh, patients get fooled. They feel like, oh, okay, I'm not there yet. I don't have to do much yet, uh, and don't call me a diabetic. Uh, they really hate that, even though they may be on medicine, and you ask them, are you a diabetic? Uh, no, I'm, my blood sugar is... Uh, 100. Well, that's because I'm taking medicine. Uh, So just be careful with those um, two that uh, diabetes is a lifelong problem it and it, it doesn't have to be uh if you're overweight um and diabetes can occur in in small people too and so we're talking about type 2 diabetes the type 1 diabetics are the ones that uh the uh insulin just sort of um is not there from the pancreas and they have to take insulin uh exogenous insulin, insulin outside the body to um get rid of the, to uh, control the blood sugars. So um,
0: can I interrupt uh, while we're talking about knowing your numbers? Cause we do have a caller on the line. Oh, and great. so if we can just pause for a second and we can come back to knowing your numbers. Cause I think that this is really important. And I know you want to get to cholesterol and some of those other things, but I want to hear from Carol who is calling us this morning from God's country, Starkville, Mississippi. Um, go dogs. <laughs> and good morning, Carol.
4: Good morning. How are you? doing great this morning wonderful what's your question well I am a I'm 68 years old I'm relatively active um, I teach on the MSU campus getting lots of steps a day but I've been doing the Noom weight loss control and trying to add um, exercise to my steps I've been to some exercise classes at different places and they're all kind of beyond my capacity at this point point. So I'm wondering um, if your expert has any suggestions for adapting so that I don't just have to stop going. I usually try to stay there and do as much as I can, but then, you know, sometimes the next day my knees feel weird or whatever. So I don't want to get discouraged with it. Um, So don't get discouraged because Uh, how
3: many 68-year-olds are in that class? Not many. (laughs) So so feel, look, you should feel great that you're in that class. Um, And I think that if you're able to um, just down regulate what you are doing compared to what they're doing, they may be high intensity. But as long as you can stay in there and stay with it, I think you'll do fine. The recommendation, actually, you're probably doing a lot more than the average American. But the recommendation is that you do at least 30 minutes of exercise, aerobic exercise, um, five to six times a week. And
4: And, would that be um, in addition to, like, the miles that I walk. or No, that, that's is that just, included that,
3: there? right, that's included. So, I mean, you're doing above what you need to do. But keep going if you feel great doing
2: that. Carol, have you talked to your instructor about ways to modify?
4: Well, normally when I get there, because of my schedule, uh-huh. I can only get there like right when it starts. So I haven't really talked about that. Um, a couple of times at the end of class when I've just been about dragging out the door, I'll say, you know, these 68-year-old hip flexors are just not wanting to do that. And then they get scared that I've uh, been there. <laughs> so well, that's I too. teach
2: a lot of group fitness classes, Carol, and uh, there should be modifications for everything. So, you know, if they're doing things that are a lot, there's a lot of bouncing, there are options where you can kind of uh, march instead of run and bounce, and yeah, if the they're doing plyo lunges, then single, yeah. yeah. So you don't have to, to actually leave the earth. You know, you can just kind of like, <laughs> that lower march. Impact thing. whatever you can do that's keeping you where it's hard for you to carry on a conversation. Then you know yeah. your heart is working hard enough. So you don't need to do a tuck jump. By any means, like some of these, uh, young folk who, who are doing nowadays or, uh, plyo lunges and all the burpees and all that. There are, yeah. there are <laughs> always options. Not any way. Yeah. <laughs> so for a burpee, a squat is fine. And for like a tuck jump or something, just a s- little straight jump where you hop a little bit in the air, but you, you know what your, your limits are. But, but as, as Dr. Alexander, <laughs> Nickens said <laughs> so, I'm used to Dr. Alexander too. Here. Um <laughs> just the most Allie, important Allie. thing is don't stop Myrna, going. Myrna. Don't stop going. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, Carol,
0: the other part is that you, you're in those classes for for yourself and for your health. And quite honestly, the only person that you have to compare yourself to is you. And, you know, everybody else that's in there, while we may feed off of one another and the energy in that room, it is by no means a competition. Um, everybody comes into those things. Speak for yourself. Looks,
2: you know, you'd be competitive if you were in there. I
0: am. but But it's not a competition. That's like a problem, right? That's a problem with though, me. Right. So it can help you and motivate you. Mm-hmm. but the other part is that like like Myrna said, look around that room and see how many of your peers are there. and I would I would even submit to you that a vast majority of those people who may be twenty or thirty years younger than you mm-hmm. won't be in that class 20 or thirty years from now. So you should be so proud and 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 excited about. Well, where one you of are of the
4: things I was most excited about is I've been going to a rotation class at the Y where every Saturday they do something different so you can try a variety of things. Mm-hmm. So um I've been doing some strength training. I, I got with a personal trainer about a year ago and I have like a little program. I've been doing that for about a year, but after two classes of strength train together in a group setting that was so much more energizing, and I felt like I got such a better workout with that that I can I can kind of deal with being around the people just because it's a better workout.
3: One recommendation, Carol, get some of your students to go with you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Interesting. No, but that's awesome. And also really motivating. So just stick with it. Um, and the modifications, again, um, are are important. And And just remember, it's not a competition. You're competing against yourself. And the fact that you're there is a win because the vast majority of folks that should be there aren't.
2: Yeah, definitely. Next time after class, maybe instead of saying, oh, I'm 68 and my hip flexors are killing me, say, I really love this class and I want to keep doing it. What are some ways I can modify? Can you point
4: those yeah. out to me during class? Our
0: lower impact options, those kinds of things, I think would be really helpful and get you what you want.
4: Last but not least, I'm going to let you go. I noticed that my own blood pressure, the I have a problem regulating the upper reading, never the lower reading. Um, but I started taking a joint care supplement, and that upper reading just came right down. And so I was just wondering if you knew any connection between the hyaluronic acid that's in the joint care. Is that something that helps lower blood pressure? Was that a coincidence, or what do you think?
3: Now I'm going to have to say I do not know on that one. Okay. um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but if it worked for you, about
4: if it's, if it's working, I'm doing it. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh,
0: that's fantastic. And we can actually kind of check and see if we can, um, during the break or something, we'll take a look and see if there's some hyaluronic acid like effects. I know it's great for your skin, PS. Um, so if you've gotten some great, uh, skin effects, then you can definitely account for that. But we'll take, uh, we'll try to do some work and see if we can find out if there are some other reports about um, effects of hyaluronic acid on, on hearts. So that'll come up next after we take our first break. Again, this is Southern Remedy for Women, and we are talking about cardiovascular disease, and we will be right back after this.
1: This is an MVB Think Radio podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us. It's Southern Remedy for Women, and today's topic is cardiovascular disease. We are talking about the number one killer of men and women in the United States: um, hypertension, diabetes because some people with diabetes will also develop some level of cardiovascular disease. Um, We're talking about hypertension. We're talking about stroke. We're talking about um, heart attacks. Um, Anybody out there who's had a bypass or been told that you needed it, you've had cardiac stenting or some of those things, then This is a show that is kind of focused on you and your issues and um, how to help people avoid cardiovascular disease, lower their risk, improve the likelihood of them living a longer, healthier life. So we have already heard a little bit about um, activity and maintaining activity well into um, our our lives. So not letting that just be something for the young folks, but something that uh, is for all folks instead and, um, I guess we can kind of move on. We were talking about knowing numbers, and we took a brief break from that to take our call. The phone lines are open, and the number again is one eight seven seven m p b ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four so now we can go back, so we've talked about knowing your numbers with blood pressure. We talked about. Um, the influence of diabetes and how that can be a significant contributor to cardiovascular disease and heart disease and how knowing that number, um, whether it's your fasting blood sugar or if it's your what we call glycosylated hemoglobin or the hemoglobin A1C.
2: You like <laughs> how I did
0: that, huh? You like that. Um, she did a dance for the yeah, listening audience was, when yes, she said was,
2: glycosylated.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Because whenever we use the like big doctor words, I always like to use it, but I want people to know what that what it really means. And dancing helps. Yeah, it does. It helps. It helps it to come out. It came out very rhythmically, didn't it? it Glycosylated hemoglobin. You pronounced it nicely. Thank you. Um, And so the other thing I guess would be um, when I think about heart disease, I always think about um, you know plaques and and lipids and cholesterols and stuff. And there's been a lot of excitement controversy, I guess, a little bit of controversy over statins mm-hmm. and how, you know, there've been, there's been this discussion about well, more and more people should really be on these drugs and that they make a, a huge difference or a significant difference in uh, cardiovascular risks, and are big mitigators of cardiovascular risk when they are taken as prescribed. Um, so maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that. So we can talk about You know, the numbers and then also the contribution of um,
3: high cholesterol to cardiovascular disease. Okay. So uh, to go on, your lipid panel should be known, not just your total cholesterol, but your panel. So just get an idea of what your total is and what your LDL is. And the LDL, so you know, we call it good and bad. Yeah. So (laughs) it's the um, bad, the LDL, uh, the lousy.
0: That's pretty good because I always think good cholesterol is HDL and I always think of that because G is closer to H, so mm. good G for good and oh, HDL that. that's healthy and happy and healthy L and happy. is lousy so right. the bad
3: and the good, I right. love it Right. right. so um, if you have diabetes then you need to take those highly recommended statins, now we do know there are some um, Adverse reactions. And mo- the most common ones are muscle aches. And to uh, avoid some of the muscle aches, I recommend to my patients, instead of taking it once a, a day, you can take it three times a week. And it's better than not taking any at all. I, th- we do this a- That's awesome. I oh, did yeah. not know that. Yes, ma'am. So it doesn't do. have to be a daily thing. No, no. So you'll, de- you'll decrease your, your levels, even if you get and get at least three to four times a week. And that will decrease the amount of muscle ache you have. All right. Yeah, we see it a lot more in older people because they also have arthritis. And, mm-hmm. and generally, the pain is sort of like you were doing some exercises, hip exercises. So it may be thigh muscles, um, but it can generally be all over as well.
0: So, Dr. Brown, targets for um, cholesterol, what are they? Like for she, you total? Said, thank
2: goodness I wrote them down because, look, <laughs> I, I was looking at all paper. So, t- I, t- I I'm your paper. So tell me if I'm right, Myrna. Total cholesterol, less than 200 yeah. milligrams per deciliter. LDL, okay. which is the lousy or the bad lousy. cholesterol, less than 100.
3: So if you have coronary disease, the cardiologists like to focus on less than 70. Do you, you see
2: how needy these cardiologists are? We less are, than 70. They need, they <laughs> got to have their
3: own special thing. No, no, this is <laughs> For everybody, it's not <laughs> just HDL, for a, The happy, the happy healthy, should be should be greater high, than greater than sixty. It
2: says. Yeah, uh huh. I remember the old days; it was thirty five. Everything oh, changes. That was really old. I know that's yeah, like yeah. when I was in medical school. So sixty, <laughs> uh-huh. and then triglycerides,
3: which people sometimes forget about, less than one fifty, less than one fifty, right. All that fat hanging out in your blood, right? Uh, but one of the one thing that so I do get some referrals from people with no disease, and they have LDLs that are high. Mm-hmm. So LDLs high meaning greater than one ninety. So that group of people, they are really antsy about what to do mm-hmm. because they may be thin like you and running. I have and, very
2: high LDL actually. You do. I'm yeah. one of those people.
3: Some people
4: just
2: genetically have it. Yeah, and my my HDL is
3: a little. My
0: HDL is also high. My HDL is a little high. My regular so my total cholesterol is always normal or on the low side. But of that, stop bragging. I'm Mm not. It's a humble brag, right? It's a humble brag. No, but seriously, my HDL is much higher and my LDL. Is is really low. But. So, what do
2: we do in these instances where it's not clear cut? Like, if you have heart disease and you have high LDL and you're obese, I mean, no doubt about it. Like right, you, you need treatment. You need treatment. Right, right. But what about someone that is active and healthy? Uh, HDL is high. Everything seems good, but the LDL is high.
3: So they still need to change their diets. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and it, the, the diet is not going to get them down to normal usually, unless they're eating a lot of high fat food. Um, and then you can still see, but I would at least give them a tra- Give them a chance to lower, lower it themselves mm-hmm. if they have no other risk factors. Um, after that's failed, though, and it's still greater than 190, then they need a statin. Um, and they don't have to have a high, den- and it does not have to be uh, a high-dose statin. It can be an intermediate-dose statin. Um, but, yeah, that's what we look at is the LDL. Now, if you got this other patient that have a high family history, their family histories may be uh, strong for coronary disease, their cholesterol is high, but they don't have any other... evidence of atherosclerosis, then we use some other measures, like, um, especially in women, uh, you can use a coronary calcium score, and that's a test that we just slide the patient into a CT scanner, and the CT scanner counts those little specks of calcium uh, on the on the heart muscle, I mean, on the in the vessels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if that coronary calcium score is zero, which is they don't see any evidence of having uh, atherosclerosis at that point, now it's only going to pick up if there are uh, has had a history. I mean, if there has been some injury to the blood vessel, so there may be still soft plaque that we don't pick up. So the coronary calcium score is still not. Um, cannot tell exactly if you have atherosclerosis. So the but plaques
2: start off soft and over time when there's injury to the vessel wall, they calcify. Yes. And that's what's picked up. Just like in an x-ray, exactly. it picks up calcium. Like your bones turn white on the x-ray and stuff exactly. like that. Uh-huh. So if it didn't get calcified, then they can't see it on that test.
3: Right. right. But right. if you get a coronary calcium score and you know it's high... Don't you don't have to keep ordering a coronary calcium score because you know you already have atherosclerosis. Now you need to now you need to just try to change what you're doing, and add to your treatment. So that would be the person that would need to be on a statin. It well, may be who, asymptomatic, but have a high coronary calcium
0: score. So so for people who are listening who've never heard of the coronary calcium score, that it's one of the ways that you can screen right. for disease. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who who do, who would go to their doctor or who would be the people who need to know about that the people in whom that test would be helpful or should be considered um is this something that any um general practitioner or primary care provider would be able to order um, because sometimes doctor, sometimes patients uh, will undergo studies or screenings because they are recommended by their physicians. Sometimes patients need to ask. So yeah. um, if I'm sitting and I'm listening to this right now, who are the people that might want to ask their doctor whether a coronary calcium score is
3: right for them? So that patient that... Um or in the middle, you know. You don't know you. You're asymptomatic. If you're symptomatic, we don't need to. That's a whole different ball game. So that's
0: um, like chest pain and those
3: kinds of things. Right. Is that what chest you're talking about? Chest discomfort, mm-hmm. shortness of breath. Um, you have already the, the disease. You don't need to have a coronary calcium score. So if you are someone that have um, your cholesterol is high but you don't have any other risk or you have some risk and you're still asymptomatic and you want to know. Uh, so usually it's the group that's say 40 and above. But if you have diabetes, um, you might want to know early, but the diabetics would need to take statins anyway.
0: And for most diabetics, is it not correct that um, the, the longer you have diabetes, the more long standing your diabetes is the, the more, more risk, you right, tend, the, the greater your risk. Right, the yeah. likelihood
3: mm-hmm. that you'll have um, atherosclerotic disease. Even if it's in your heart, or when we say atherosclerosis, we're talking about everywhere. So we mean your head, your brain, uh, in your neck, uh, or the carotids, or your heart, your aorta, all systems go. Uh, and I explain to my patients it's like having um, a, a street you know you got a highway, the a water is the big highway, right, and you got a bunch of little streets on the side so if your highways are, are good um and you don't have any plaque, then you're okay. but if you got a highway say uh on i fifty five that's north. Um, that would be your head and you have some plaque there, there's a likelihood that you're going to have some down in Jackson too.
0: Well, that's like if you have an <laughs> 18-wheeler that like turns over on 55, it can back up and you can have problems a few miles away. Yeah, like right, the yeah. actual the actual inciting event may be in a different location, but you can see the effects of it across all the little uh, smaller areas. Right, right. I got so,
3: it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, atherosclerosis affects the whole, the entire body. Okay, so now some of the other risk factors that I want to get to are um, smoking, and when we ask yes. about smoking, no reason to smoke, right? No Don't reason to smoke. It. Don't do no it. No reason to inhale
0: Stop. inhale those noxious chemicals into your lungs, and not right. just
3: smoking cigarettes, right? Right, not just cigarettes. So when I ask the question, "Do you smoke?" commonly, my patients will say no. Okay, but then I'm seeing some little telltale signs that they're inhaling something. And so the other question is, okay, you don't smoke cigarettes. Do you smoke marijuana? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do smoke marijuana. Uh, And so now patients are quite confused. They want to know, well, why is it being... put on the, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's, uh, in some states to smoke marijuana and others it's not. Uh, well then I sort of date them back to alcohol. Remember in the 1920s, you don't remember, you weren't there, but anyway, we read about it (laughs) 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 in the 1920s. Right, right. Uh, but anyway, at prohibition, um, you know, they were not in, not, you couldn't drink. You couldn't um, have distilleries and that kind of thing. And so they say, hey, let them drink, do whatever. Now we're faced with a lot of people with, that have liver disease and other problems. So just because we say it's okay to smoke marijuana does not mean you're not going to have a problem.
0: Are we saying it's okay to smoke marijuana? No. Oh, okay. Just yeah. checking. not in mississippi at least Mm -hmm. exactly not here colorado totally different thing um not the physicians
3: yeah so right but anyway that is a risk factor it does increase your cardiovascular um, risk for having myocardial infarctions Uh, so cigarette smoking marijuana smoking both can affect the cardiovascular tree
0: oh i want to throw one in um This is like a a selfish moment, but I think it's something that a lot of people may not know. Um, And so we talked about the changes in hypertension uh, diagnosis, the criteria and how we lowered the numbers. Um, But the other part is women who have actually had a hypertensive disease or what we call preeclampsia or what people may know as toxemia of pregnancy. Those women also are at an increased risk for right cardiovascular disease and even um, cardiovascular mortality. So death um, is increased in those women over the course of their lifetime. So greater increase in uh, developing hypertension, mm-hmm. greater risk of suffering from you know stroke or uh, a heart attack. Um, and also uh, an increased risk in overall mortality related to cardiovascular disease. And that's something that we've not always appreciated. I think it's become um, a little bit more mainstream, and that information is slowly, I think, getting out as we are being more aware and focusing on the impact of heart disease on women. Um, But that's something. So if you are someone you know has a history of having preeclampsia or being diagnosed, um, as having preeclampsia during their pregnancy, if they were delivered early because they had preeclampsia, um, or again, as I said, one of the, the things that uh, we used to call it is toxemia. If you if if that has happened, then that too is a risk
3: factor. And it's not just a little one. Right. It's it a actually big one. is yeah. considered so to be a big one. Right. It, it is a risk factor. Um, if we just looked at men, um, our risk factors in women are much different from men. And that should be one of the questions I tell my residents now that that needs to be one of your questions. Have you, did you, when you were pregnant, Uh, Did you have a problem with your blood pressure? And then they said, oh, yeah, by the way, I did. Uh, We're seeing them at 50 years old, but that would historically let us know that they have an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. And now that I'm seeing a lot of your patients at the age of 20 and they are preeclamptic, I let them know now that later on, you're going to have your risk for having hypertension and cardiovascular disease is higher.
0: And I think with um, reproductive age women, there may not be be a regular source of care. Like they may not, because they're younger, they may not see a physician regularly. So knowing the impact of these things that can happen that are pregnancy related uh, complications, gestational diabetes even, increases Mm -hmm. your risk for developing diabetes in your lifetime. And so knowing that if you've had those circumstances occur, preeclampsia goes away, um, gestational diabetes is supposed to go away, Um, even if they resolve at the end of your pregnancy that it doesn't mean that it may not come back when you are not pregnant Mm -hmm. and when it comes back it might actually be there to stay want to give that number out again because the phone lines are open 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 we are halfway through this broadcast guys and we have a cardiologist here giving you free answers and free advice can't get that in the office (laughs) (laughs) so give us a call ask questions, share your experiences we'd love to hear from you and this is Southern Remedy for Women we will be right back
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us. This is Southern Remedy for Women, where we are talking about cardiovascular disease. We are joined by our special expert, Dr. Myrna Nickens. (laughs) I'm going to get your name right before it's all said done. Dr. Myrna Nickens, who is a cardiologist and associate professor of internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and um, we are talking about all things heart and blood vessels. Um, our phone lines are open. That number is one eight seven seven MPB ring, and we are going to go to those phone lines and hear from Jackie, who's calling us from Taylorsville. Good morning, Jackie. Good
1: morning. How are you guys? We are great.
0: What's your question?
1: I have um, had a cardiac score, my calcium score was uh, zero, but I have a very strong history of uh, heart disease in my family, my dad died when he was 57. Um, I have hypertension, but I'm just curious as to, you know, how I'm, I'm actually the same age, so I'm just, I'm, I'm terrified I'm gonna get heart disease. My cholesterol are all normal, my LDL is great, my HDL is great, I am overweight, and I have high blood pressure. So what do I need to do besides lose weight to you know, make sure that I'm good.
2: But why besides lose weight? <laughs>
0: That's our question. We all <laughs> look at each other like, She's wait. Like, Hold on. don't tell her what she already knows. Tell her the other <laughs> I, stuff.
1: <laughs> I, I know. And the thing is, I'm, I'm active. I go to the gym. I eat, you know, fairly healthy. I mean, not... Obviously, my diet reflects that. But um, I don't have diabetes. I, you know, I have all the things that everybody in my family has. except hypertension. So... I mean, I, I'm wondering if this, I don't want to be falsely lulled into thinking I'm not going to get cardiovascular disease because I have a calcium of know Right.
3: False negative, right? That's what right, she's asking about. Right right. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: right,
3: right, right. Yeah, you don't want to, um, uh, because like, this is just a point in time, like I said, you can still develop uh, heart disease later on. So don't. Can you hear us, Jackie? Yes. yes. Okay. Our, okay, our headphones went wacky. Right.
0: Mine did, too. We're, oh,
3: okay. So um, really work on your weight, though. Um, uh, that will help you tremendously. Uh, not only for cardiovascular health, it also helps for um, decrease your chance for having breast cancer, um, also decreases your chance for for having colon cancer. So uh, there are other benefits other than just cardiovascular that would, uh, if you had a, a, a better weight, would help you.
2: But Dr. Niggins also mentioned earlier about you can have plaques that are not calcified. Right. So, for like for any screening test, whether it's a pap smear or whatever, there are what we call false negatives, right? So, it's not 100% predictive of your Lifetime. potential disease. Right. Yeah. So, keep all but Jackie, that in mind. Jackie,
0: I just want to bring up something that you said that I think might... My- resonate with a lot of people out there because a lot of people have experienced for folks like you who have a strong family history, um, and it's not just for cardiac disease, but it's for a lot of other things, whether it's breast cancer onset at a young age or something like that in a close family member, when you've gone through that and you have lost that person and then you find that there may be a hereditary link or that the family history increases your risk. It's the closer you get to that point in time. I think that it's really important that you acknowledge that like in your in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, when is it going to be the day that that same thing happens to me? And yeah, and and that I think that that anxiety or fear is very real for a lot of people. And folks tend to address it in different ways. Some people address it by deciding that they are not going to do any screening and they don't want to know and they're just going to live as well as they can and they're going to live it up and do the things that they want to do because they don't know when their number is going to be up. And then there are other people who take a very different approach and who really um, try to be vigilant to do everything that they can to mitigate that. And it seems that... You have been a person who's done the latter and you need to be congratulated for that. It may not necessarily give you a sense of peace, but just I think you need to be applauded for being a person who's decided to take a proactive stance and is really interested in doing everything that you possibly can to make sure that for those things that you can control, that you are controlling them.
1: Well, thank you. Um, I actually, I'm an orient so. I, oh, <laughs> as, great! As a, I tell my patients the same thing. You, you have to take that in your hands. You can't. You have to take care of your health. Yeah. Nobody else can do it for you.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. so good so luck to you.
1: I'm not missing anything. I, I, just, I try to do everything I can to yeah. So I appreciate the Thank you so much for taking my call and I It gives me a little bit of a sense of peace, but I still will uh, work on the way. Thank you very much.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. So we are going to stay on our phone lines because we got roughly about six or seven minutes left. So we're going to hear from Al, who's calling from Jackson. Good morning, Al.
5: Good morning. So I'm a home health provider, and I want the doctor to help me as a physical therapist. I have, over the last 10 years, seen people have acute kidney disease, um, strokes, and even heart attacks. Uh, sometimes relatively healthy, but the only correlation seemed to me uh, when I talk to these people is that they've been using statins. And I'm trying to figure out as a clinician, is there a correlation between the use of statins and the rise of uh, acute kidney disease? And are are we doing more harm than we are good? With respect to the use of statins to to control cholesterol, um, I don't know. This is just you know from my research and looking into the patients that I've seen and
4: mm-hmm. the
5: research that's out there. Okay, um, Al. And, and I just wanted to have uh, see what the doctor has to say about that.
3: Okay, thanks for calling, Al. So since you're a physical therapist, there's a high likelihood that those patients were on some uh, medication for pain as well now there has been some correlation with kidney disease what we and you know what they are the the non so patients are are coming to you because they have some muscle ache or they have a broken bone or something like that and they're taking a, a, a lot of non now that is well written that well,
5: uh, well that's well that's uh, yeah and i understand but that's not the situation i'm, I'm a home health provider Oh, you know, most of, most of the patients. It's a little different dem- demographics in terms of the type of patients that I treat. Most of the patients that I treat are the cardiovascular type patients. They have hypertension. They have diabetes. Uh, you know, they're going to dialysis. But uh-huh. you know, I walk into a home and I have a forty nine year old patient who has uh, all of a sudden uh, on dialysis, and she doesn't know why she's on dialysis, but. Um, she oh, but it, if, if
3: if you look back in her history, though, a lot of them are undiagnosed di- uh, diabetics, undiagnosed hypertensive. They have not been
0: keeping poorly up- controlled. That's another good another good point. Yeah, right. But well, the, studies act- back, you, know. the studies go back. Let me tell you, the
3: studies go back at least thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in this business a long time, and we have good studies that show. Uh, the improvement in uh, cardiovascular health with the statins. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have some um, uh, adverse reactions, but for the most part, there are more people that are helped than... than yeah, I, than mean, I, I understand c- that, but
5: but is there a correlation?
3: No, uh, no. But between we have not seen a correlation between um, taking statins and development of renal disease. Actually, when they have renal disease, we put them on statins. There has not been any correlation between uh, taking statins and developing heart disease. Right, uh, right. We, th- those people tend to do better.
5: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Okay. Now, thanks so thanks. much
0: for your call. Um, and we have one more caller on the line. So we are going to go to Greer and hear from her. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for um, calling. I am, I'm calling with a question about PACs. I have PACs. Um, I see a cardiologist, I've had a complete workup, I've worn a Holter monitor a couple of times, and my cardiologist swears that the PACs are benign, but I promise you they don't feel benign. (laughs) Um, And I take Toprol, which um, somewhat controls them, but I still will have breakthrough episodes and I'm aware of the kind of things that can trigger them like stress and caffeine and lack of sleep, but I'm wondering if... They really are benign. And I'm also wondering if there's any correlation. I noticed that they are worse when I'm laying down on my left side. And I wondered if there's any any documentation of that and if I should avoid it. Uh,
3: should avoid lying on your left side? Right. It you're... seems to trigger them. No, you just are aware that your heart is on the left. And so you are aware of it when you're lying on your on your left side. Not that okay. they worsen. Um, but me, because if if you turn over on your left side and put your hand under your breast, you can Mm -hmm. feel your heart. And so you're probably just feeling them. Uh, and yes, we do, I do see a lot of patients with PACs. Uh, they are relatively benign. Um, they can, uh, if you have some other illnesses such as COPD or emphysema, uh, sleep apnea. They be may be more prevalent in those patients. So, uh, do you snore? I'm not. You don't have to answer I do, this. But I, oh, I, I, I do okay. Have but you do it's sn- treated
1: and managed sleep
3: apnea. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. So uh, patients with sleep apnea, ha- they have an increased incidence of having atrial fibrillation, and sometimes they could be little footsteps before you develop atrial fibrillation. And okay. so, uh, and the toprol usually can take care of some of that, but. If you can just treat that um, sleep apnea, uh, most of the time you, you'll you be okay. But they are fairly benign. They feel terrible a lot of they times. Do. Yeah, some people don't feel them at all. They're having them, but they don't feel them. Uh, would
1: you recommend? Um, so my cardiologist dismissed me. Would you, you know, from, from regular appointments, would you recommend? Um, like an annual check-in or something like that, or not unless the symptoms
3: change? Not unless your symptoms change. I I think that your internist or family medicine person can take care of that uh, as well. Now, if your sleep apnea is not controlled, remember, you can still develop some other arrhythmias. Right. Um, right. Weight reduction. We are
1: doing a good job
3: with that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much. That's really helpful. It gives me some
3: reassurance. Okay. All right. Thank you for calling. Awesome. So,
0: we are down to the last few seconds. Dr. Nickens, real quick, baby aspirin.
3: Baby aspirin. Don't want to close without touching on this. Okay. So, there has been some new information um, uh, regarding prevention. So, we don't just uh, theoretically give everybody baby aspirin anymore. Um, secondary prevention, meaning that you have the disease, um, those people are recommended to take a baby aspirin. But if you are don't have any risk factors for coronary disease, there's no need to take the baby aspirin. So there so you go. There's two different uh, scenarios now. Okay. Ask your
0: doctor if baby aspirin is right for you, but know that the recommendations have changed. Myrna, thanks so much. We've got a great Don't producer, just stop Jay White. This is, Thank you, Jay. This is Southern Remedy for Women. NPR is here and now is next on MPB Think Radio.